Hello, everybody, and welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm super, super excited for this week's show because I am joined to talk about Moonstruck by returning champion, friend of the podcaster, pod, friend of the podcast, friend of the podcast, podcaster, and now author of Filmed in Brooklyn. Welcome back to the show, Margot Donahue. Hi, Margot. Hi, thank you so much for having me back on. I'm, I'm, I'm super psyched to be here. I'm sorry that I messed up your intro, but... Uh, <laughs> it was perfect. It, was yeah, no, it went really well. I just heard uh, my name. That's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> you know her as the host of Dorking Out, as the host of Book versus Movie, as the host of What a Creep. Okay. Uh, and now she has written a book called filmed in brooklyn Margot, tell me about your journey to writing this book well uh my co-host for book person movie is Margot, also named Margot, Margot porras and she wrote a book about her childhood or about oxnard california which is where her people are from it's just above san diego mm-hmm. and it's with history press so i've been following history press for a long time and they do neighborhoods and historical themes and things like that they tend to be a little bit smaller and I pitched them to do about Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is my neighborhood. I moved here in 95 and I got in on a rent controlled apartment. Nice. And the first thing my dad said when I told him about it, he, I said, should I take that one? He goes, yeah. And you put your <laughs> name on the lease right away. Yeah. He was looking out for me. <laughs> and I've, I've been here ever since. And I've been, I love this neighborhood. And they came back to me and said, well, we're, we're doing a series of, location filming in they they called it so there's one for pittsburgh and one for arizona and they said would you want to do one for brooklyn and i'm like hell yeah i would and a few months later COVID hits and my idea of what the book was going to look like i just started obsessively watching movies mm-hmm. anything that said it had brooklyn in it i just i made sure like i got in there and tried to get in there so i had i watched over 250 films Wow. Did I finish? No. <laughs> Kazam, I couldn't manage to finish. Uh, but, uh, and Baby Mama is not my favorite. But uh, <laughs> I have no idea what goes on that one. But anyway, uh, here we are. I took photos and I did interviews. And I actually was going to do some interviews with some celebrities, excuse me, but because of COVID, things got kind of messed up. And I started thinking, like, I should just ask my friends who are movie geeks, movie lovers. And I started doing, like, podcasters that I love. And y'all are, like, so smart and have really interesting takes on things. So I included some of you, including some people from F This Movie. Yes. Thank you so much. I got to write about the Warriors, which was awesome. Yeah. Because it was right after Erica and I had gone out to Coney Island. So the Warriors was fresh on my brain. It's one of the best Coney Island movies ever. It's one of the best New York City movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And you've had success with the book so far. You've been doing lots of interviews and. Yeah. I am. I'm trying not to tell all my stories over and over again. I'm trying to be fresh for everybody. So I was like picking a different movie for everyone, but yeah, I've been doing a ton of them and it's been really fun. It's I'm used to being on the other side. I'm not used to the one having to like sit there and you being asked the questions being in the spotlight, but. I'll, I'll admit it's been fun. I, yeah. I took a 
I took a reporter all around Brooklyn and I'll post that interview tomorrow. It's in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle and just some podcasts that I really adore. But of course, I asked you first. F the oh, smoothie. well, Can thank I please you. Be on F the smoothie? Can <laughs> please talk about Moonstruck. And you're very generous and said yes. Well, of a course. Long time ago. It's good. Well, yeah, because it was before October. We were trying to time it out so the book would be out. And uh, it's going to be weird talking about a movie that works. Like, usually when you come on the show, we're like talking about a movie where nobody understands that they made a movie that's like weird or fucked up or like evil in some insidious way. But Moonstruck is like, no, we're all just flawed and we know that. <laughs> it's kind of a perfect movie. I mean, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. I kept going back to it. I, I listed my top five in my book of my, my favorites of all time, but I kept going back and it's Moonstruck, Warriors, The Little Fugitive, and Do the Right Thing, and, and uh, Saturday Night Fever. So very nice. But I kept going back to Moonstruck. And maybe yeah. because it actually has chicks in it versus the <laughs> others. But it's, it's just, it's such a perfect story. So I can't wait to talk about it with you. You know what other New York movie has women in it? Baby Mama. <laughs> Do you know the premise of this movie? It's that movie's bananas. And I can't figure out why they didn't just, I mean, I only saw it once. We saw it when it came out and I was like, why didn't they just go with the movie that they advertised, which is like Tina Fey is going to adopt or, you know, Amy Poehler is Tina Fey's surrogate or whatever. They, right. There's like the whole second half is like a crazy, like I'm actually lying and I'm not pregnant or some weird shit like that. Right. I gave up when it's in the trailer, Amy Poehler in a sink. And that's supposed to be the big visual joke. And I was like, Oh God, this is going to be bad, but I'm going to stick with it. And then they just have her in that sink forever. And I get it. (laughs) She's tiny and cute. And I guess she's a yokel from the middle of Pennsylvania, doesn't know how to use a sink properly. I don't know what the joke was. But yeah, I, I mean, somewhere around there I gave up because I okay. was just, uh, yeah, I just couldn't. Well, Steve you need Martin's to save something him? for filmed in Brooklyn, too. Yes, yes. And because they have some I hope space. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, have you seen anything good lately? I have. I finally got around to Don't Worry Darling. It's okay. out on HBO Max. I'm going to say I liked it. I Interesting. Think, bold stance. I know. Everyone's saying how dumb it is. And I'm kind of like, I think this is going to be a cult classic. I think this is going to be something people go back to. I think it looks great. Yep. I'm interested in what else she is going to develop and direct in the future. Florence Pugh is like flawless. Everything she does is great. It looks beautiful. I mean, does it make sense? No. But I I didn't mind if I had paid twenty bucks and gone to a theater I might have been annoyed. Right. But if it's on if you have HBO Max and you're flipping around for something, I say give it a shot. Because honestly, <laughs> I think like ten years from now there's going to be all these think pieces about it, and then we're going to say like Olivia Wilde was screwed over because she made something, blah blah blah, and everybody wanted to talk about Chris Pine being spat upon or whatever that was. Right. Right. Yeah, I really hope she's allowed to keep making movies because mm-hmm. I think between book smart and this one, I mean, she obviously has talent. She obviously knows how to put a movie together. I didn't love don't worry, darling more so at the script level than yeah, anything she does directing wise. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of men who have made middling to shitty movies and they get to keep making movies. And I worry that the, 
controversy or whatever you want to call it over Don't Worry Darling or the fact that it wasn't quite a success is going to hurt her directing career. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we've evolved to where like, oh, women can fuck up too and still get to make more movies. But I'm a little nervous. I am too. I mean, I wonder how much money it made. I think it did pretty well at the box office the first weekend. So, and also she's beautiful. She's willing to get kind of messy promoting her movies. Like she's out there like working it. Yeah. And, and I think like she draws attention and I think like, but she has a great eye. I mean, the movie visually is gorgeous. Yeah. The art direction's great. It's just like, it's a very much a story problem. It just doesn't make any sense. And if you're going to do Jordan Peterson, just really make it Jordan Peterson. Don't throw Chris Pine in there. Even though (laughs) I adore Chris Pine. He's one of my favorite Chris's. Sure. And he's not the problem with the movie. No, Uh, he's not. Um, The cast is great. I mean, who am I thinking of? Harry Styles? Yeah. He's fine. He's fine. I wasn't totally sold on him, but I don't know because I was watching it wondering because I know originally she had wanted, I think, Shia LaBeouf. Shia, Shia, Shia. She called him. Uh, right. And I was watching it. And I was like, I don't, I don't know that this is a better movie with Shia LaBeouf, you know? Mm-mm. No, it's kind of fun watching Harry Styles doing, you know, poor person cosplay, like loser cosplay, <laughs> like him with the greasy hair and, right. you know, and all that crap. Right. Uh, oh, don't worry, darling. You have more ideas than you're <laughs> able to execute. It was it was interesting. I mean, I, like I said, I think 10 years from now, we're going to get people that are going to like dress like that for Halloween. Yeah. Halloween, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, sticking with 1987, I wanted to see if this is a movie that really existed that I saw before <laughs> and it's called hello again. And it's with Shelley long. Shelley long. Heidi. Yeah. It's not that bad. I mean, which isn't a huge compliment. This could be a Hallmark movie. This premise could easily be, you know, she plays someone who dies. And then like a year later, her sister, who's like this wacky sister uh, brings her back from the dead. And then she has like a, until the next full moon to like, find love yeah gabriel burns in there corbin burnson's in there uh austin pendleton's in there it's it's new york it looks beautiful shelly long is very she seal award like one of those beautiful women ever i forget like how like hot she was they it just uh they the way that uh shelly long just kind of works with bad material it tries to make the best of it right, right. she's a great physical comedian like yeah. she's very funny yeah so anyway Hello again. <laughs> I think I always thought that I remember the advertisements for that movie. And I think I believed at the time that it was like a ghost movie. Like she, oh, Shelley Long's ghost is spying on her ex-husband or whatever. I didn't realize she was brought back from the dead. Yeah, but they just have her like in a white dress, like standing on top of her grave, like waiting for her sister. Like, oh, hi. Hello there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he, it's it's bananas. But I just I don't know. So this um, is your next book. You take yes. a bunch of you take a bunch of eighties movies. You just describe the premise, and the book is called "Can You Believe This Was a Movie?" I say you take this. You add Christmas, Hanukkah, and Thanksgiving, and it's your next next like Netflix holiday film. It might be because it's because some of the, I I have to say this like some of the dialogue was really clever and the performances were fun. It's just like it just didn't it fell apart. It didn't make sense. It just okay. like just like don't worry, darling. <laughs> um, maybe not the same level but right did you watch yeah. the the Lindsay lowen one yet i loved it yeah did you course. really yes. i haven't watched it 
watched it last night like at midnight. <laughs> it's fantastic. I love I love her. I'm I'm waiting for that comeback. I, I yeah. say bring her on, bring it on. Um I also saw I thought you'd appreciate this. The invitation by Karen Kusama. Oh yes, that's a good one. Yeah, I did that for another podcast and uh I loved it. That was really that was really pretty great. There's like three movies called The Invitation, and that's yeah. the best one. Yeah, it's twenty. I haven't seen the new one. Maybe that's not fair. I haven't seen the one that just came out, but uh that's like the vampire one or whatever. But yeah. uh but yeah, this one, the this is kind of a cult movie, not saying it's a dinner like, party gone right. to hell. It's a movie about a cult, not a cult movie in the sense that a cult has developed around it. Uh yeah, it's really good. Kind of a slow burn horror yeah. movie thriller type thing. Yeah, I really like that movie. I, I want to see more of her stuff. Um, and then for another podcast, I don't know if you've ever seen this. Heaven Help Us. It's 85. Kevin Dillon. Yeah. 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 That was really, that was fun. Also filmed in Brooklyn. Filmed That's in Brooklyn. Uh, uh, Andrew McCarthy? Yes. And Donald Patrick Sutherland. Dempsey. Yeah. Okay. Patrick Dempsey, like little baby Patrick Dempsey. Looks wow. like he's 12. I haven't seen it since VHS. It's been a long time. It's on Cinemax. You can get like a week free of Cinemax or try it for a week and try it there. I don't know why. Maybe it's the soundtrack, but I, it was really good. Okay. Um, also, I was going to say uh, Falling for Christmas, but that's the Lindsay Lohan movie. <laughs> <laughs> Also, quickly, I saw um, on uh, Disney Channel the Sydney Poitier documentary. It's just called Sydney. Okay. It's really good. Okay. And I really enjoyed I Married a Witch on Criterion. Oh, I uh, love that movie, Veronica uh, Lake. Oh, turns out, by the way, she's from Brooklyn. (laughs) Didn't know that. I screamed into my pillow the other night, like, (laughs) Because I really like her a lot, but yeah, she's it's great. a fun movie. It's a really weird fun movie. It's adorable. It truly is. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that one for a couple of years either, but I remember really liking. Uh, I fell in love with Frederick March at a young age because he had mm-hmm. done Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and I was obsessed with. Even before I could see that movie, I was obsessed with like the makeup and stuff in that movie. So Frederick March was so on my radar. I was like, what? He made a romantic comedy about a witch with Veronica Lake? So when I finally got to track it down, I was so excited that it's, like, delightful. It really is. It's on Criterion. They, they yeah. do that November noir, so they have a whole thing of her. And then finally, I read the Matthew Perry autobiography. Yeah, you did. Oy, 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 this guy. Which is called, he... Could I Be Any More Self-Indulgent? <laughs> First of all, he congratulates himself on being so funny. Like every other, he compares himself, first of all, to the Beatles, not to a Beatle, not as part of a collective, like a group of people compared to He wasn't saying like the friends of cast were the friends of cast, the cast of friends were the Beatles of comedy. No, he was saying it about himself. The Beatles. I am the Beatles. Like the fame hit he had and all that stuff. That's wow. He, all you hear about is how funny he is, how much he craved fame how much he blames his mother for his bad treatment of women, like, and his treatment of women. So everyone talks about the Keanu Reeves story. Are you familiar with it? Uh, him saying that, like, why couldn't he be dead? Right. So yeah. he talks about, he worked with um, River Phoenix in a movie, Jimmy Reardon. Night in the that, Life of Jimmy Reardon. That was his first movie. And then he says, a few years later, he died. 
And I couldn't help but wonder why did the smart, why, why do these interesting voices go? And why is Keanu Reeves still walking the earth? Which is a very mid nineties reference, I think. Like yes. Keanu Reeves can't act, whatever. But then he mentions him again when somebody else, Chris Farley dies. And he says the same thing. And Keanu Reeves still walks the earth. It's so unnecessary. Way to double down on that one. On Matt. your juiciness. So <laughs> here's another one he did. He was set up on a date with Cameron Diaz. In this, this he tells the story. And it's just after she broke up with Justin Timberlake. And he said it was a sort of a blindish date. They knew what they each other looked like, but they never met before. So it's a first date and they're at a party. And he's like, I could tell she wasn't into me and that she was high. And then he said, they're playing Pictionary. And he said, one of my witticisms, as he calls it. <laughs> but this is under a chapter he calls me with violence in my life. Like something about violence in his life. She was laughing at his joke and she meant to punch him in the arm. And she, he said she punched him in the face. And he's still mad at her to this day. Oh, my gosh. When you read the way he treats women, there's one girlfriend he dumps. She stays with him all through rehab. And I mean, he was in a hospital for two months. And as soon as he gets out, he says to her, and she left her husband for him and everything. She said, you know, I need to not be in a relationship right now. So I'm just going to take some time. And then he says, I screwed like half of Southern California. Wow. But he can't get over Cameron Diaz. Mistakenly, which I right. think it was a mistake. But right. <laughs> you think she meant to just clock him in the face? I think she knew somehow. But I think also... <laughs> It's Cameron Diaz. Like, who cares? Like, just yeah. laugh it off. Like, obviously, she didn't mean to. And it's just a whatever. Cameron but. Diaz, if you're listening, you can punch me in the face anytime. You can. Look, I'm a straight lady. I'll go on a date with you. <laughs> we'll play Pictionary. You can punch me in the face. I'll just laugh it off because you are Cameron Diaz. You're, you're a not going to whine about it in your next book? No, because you know what she would do? She'd put that big smile on her face like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Right. And I'd be like, oh, it's because it is. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I understand you're going to be talking about one of his movies soon with Adam. Yeah, Serving Sarah, which oh, yeah. is a classic of the genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had to leave. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm glad he's sober, and I hope he stays that way. And Absolutely. Me, you know, I, I, I honor that journey for him, but yikes. His, when I say his relationship with women and with fame, yikes. Yeah, huh. I never really, like had any sense of him as a person weirdly enough like i knew him from friends and i knew him from movies and stuff but i never have like watched him in interviews or read interviews with him so i never developed an opinion on him as a human being and the first time i did was when he was promoting the book and it was reported that he said all that shit about keanu reeves and i was like oh kind of fuck matthew perry well fuck him yeah he I think, um, well, he was so high. I mean, he was, I mean, he's like 55 Vicod in a day at one point. Yikes. I mean, that's, so maybe he just wasn't doing a lot of interviews. Maybe he's, and he could just very well be stuck in the nineties in his head sure. for all I know. But I mean, I don't know. He says he didn't have a ghostwriter. My ghostwriter friends kind of like, a, yeah, sure, Jan. Okay. <laughs> But I wonder how that Keanu Reeves got through. Because I would I would think an editor or somebody would say, you know, this guy is beloved. Do you not? Yeah, right. Look at a John Wick movie. I mean, maybe he's jealous. I don't even know. Like, there's not even somebody he should replace that name with. Because essentially you're wishing death upon somebody who didn't I do anything like, to you. I Mel Gibson or Harvey Weinstein or sure, somebody. Yeah, there you go. Harvey Weinstein people, people would be like, yeah, okay. You know. 
But like, yeah, Keanu, who's never hurt anybody ever. Right. Right. Uh, I read it so you don't have to, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, well, that's good. That saved me some some time, so I appreciate it. More time to read (laughs) Filmed in Brooklyn by Margot Donahue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've only got a couple things that I watched last night. This is appropriate. I hosted a screening of Streets of Fire, which uh, we once recorded a Dorking Out podcast about. Yes, we did. Um, And it is a movie that is beloved by me, but it was very funny because it was my first time ever seeing it theatrically. And the dialogue stood out to me more than ever. And it's like, oh, everyone in this movie hates everyone in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I still love the movie. Don't get me wrong. But every line of dialogue is somebody being irritated with another character in the movie. Just like, yeah, why don't you sit down and shut up? (laughs) Yeah, why don't you make me? That's every line in Streets of Fire. But the music is really good. And you have the Diane music is Lane. so good. It looks great. And Michael Pere is great in the lead. And uh, Diane Lane. I mean, get out of here. So I still love the movie, but it was funny how more than ever the the sort of abrasive dialogue stood out to me. I don't know why that kind of washed over me more on home video, but theatrically I was like, boy, man, everyone really seems irritated with everyone else in this movie. It's the big screen. It makes everything seem more important than <laughs> it is. Guess. I think that's that movie. It's, it's the one with, I can dream about you. Right. That's the yeah, song. It is. Yeah. Yeah. They played that video all the time on MTV. So I was like, I think I know what this movie's about. And then that no, was completely different. <laughs> I didn't, uh, I hadn't seen it growing up. I only knew it from the TV spots they used to show on TV. And the TV spot revolved heavily around Michael Pere, like doing some butterfly knife thing. (laughs) And we used to go to a friend's house where they had one of those switchblade combs. And my sisters and my brother, we would all take turns grabbing the switchblade comb and just going, streets, click, a fire. Like, that was our big <laughs> streets. And that was all I knew about Streets of Fire was that it involved a switchblade comb, uh, which it doesn't, actually. It's a butterfly knife. Anyway, I love that movie, even if everyone hates everyone. I love that movie, too. You totally yeah. turned me around on it. Yes, everyone should go listen to that episode of Dorking Out. And really, I mean, let's be honest, every episode of Dorking Out. <laughs> Thank you. Who are we kidding here? Um, <laughs> yeah, Adam uh, was just on to talk about Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. Which I just saw for the first time in years because some friends of ours were hosting a a benefit uh, screening to raise money for breast cancer awareness. And they showed three movies. They lost a family member. Uh, we, it's, we did our our podcast-a-thon years ago for yeah, this I same family. Um, so uh, they they showed Mrs. D- it was three of Alexa's favorite movies. It was Mrs. Doubtfire, Raising Arizona, and Beetlejuice. And so we brought the kids to Mrs. Doubtfire and Raising Arizona. It was my first time seeing Mrs. Doubtfire, and I probably again since VHS. Um, yeah. What'd you think? It's a. It's odd. It's a super bizarre movie. Like, yes, it's exactly the kind of movie that you and I would do a show on. Yeah. It's like everyone here thought that this was okay. 
And we're here years later to tell you, no, it wasn't okay. <laughs> All I could think of is I see Robin Williams and his characters just so, he gets so angry in yeah. like a nanosecond. It's like, yeah. yeah, clearly he shouldn't be left with the kids. <laughs> like, no. And, I, and I, I don't want to just wish it was a different movie, but I wish right. that it was a movie wherein he didn't have to create a fictional English woman to watch the kids where Sally Field was just like, sure, you can come watch the kids a couple times a week. And we just see him learn to become a more responsible adult. And it still has all that. I, Cause I think all this stuff about divorce is really good. Um, I like, I, you know, I end up liking the movie overall, even though I don't like any of the stuff with Mrs. Doubtfire, the character. And as much as I like Robin Williams as an actor, he never, ever, ever makes me laugh. Which is so funny because, I mean, that's all I know. Like, I, I'm older than you, so I remember Mork and Mindy. And sure. So that, I used to watch Mork and Mindy as a kid. Yeah. So, Nanu Nanu. You're welcome. Right. <laughs> I, actually, I got uh, I got that for my friends' DVDs for their sons, Mork and Mindy. And her husband, like, texted me the day, like, thanks a lot, Donnie. So just yelling Shazba. Like up and down their house, <laughs> but he's. But that's because the character, because in the commercials and that we saw, and when I watch it, it's on TBS, you know. So there's a lot of commercials in between the scenes. It's just Robin Williams being goofy, like "Ooh, air guitar, Ooh, mm-hmm. walking around San Francisco, a mother's gonna get me, not this time," you know. But when you see it all together uninterrupted, you're like, this man is really angry and yeah. like is not tapping into that, and if. If he had all this time to take care of his kids properly, he could have been doing this whole time. Right. Like, think about that. Like he had that time in the afternoon to take care of them. Yeah. To be with them. And he wasn't allowed. <laughs> right. So instead he, cre- it's just, I think it's a candidate for uh, your second book. This was actually a movie. <laughs> <laughs> you just described the premise of hello again. And Mrs. Doubtfire. And you call it, this was actually a movie. And it's, this a, is, yeah. Uh, because the 90s were such a weird time. You couldn't just make a movie about Robin Williams, like learning to become a better person just by being a person. Like we have to add in this weird angle of like, hey, what if he uh, dressed up as an old English lady and creates a wacky character that way? I think he was, for years, he really leaned into being very talking very fast and doing impressions and jumping this topic to this, which is exhausting. I will. Yeah, I, yep. I get that. Yeah, It's exhausting. But they were like, cause he made a lot of money for people doing that for sure. Aladdin and shit like that. But I think this is his turn into more drama, mm-hmm. which he does way better, you know, in the nineties. Yeah. I generally like him more either in dramatic roles or in comedic roles where he's like toned down a little mm-hmm. bit, something like Moscow on the Hudson or like something where he's the birdcage. Yeah. The birdcage he's playing, you know, for lack of a better term, the straight, the role, straight right? man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's really, really good in that movie. Yeah. I think in this one, it was a lot of, and they see even say like, there's like 40 takes for every scene. Well, Cause sometimes we have Robin, and I'm like, of course it, there is. I mean, like it looks right. like that. Yeah. Right. At some moments they just cut together like what appear to be outtakes and that's why the movie runs over two hours because it's just like here's 15 jokes we couldn't decide on one so here he is doing all these voices for the social worker you know right (laughs) that's a living like i mean it is for some people but that's not how you do it it's very it's just very (laughs) odd you and i talked about this before also like just people don't know what job what jobs are no 
they don't understand how things work. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> and I also get, like I said, like it gets very annoying, the whole thing. Like he has to put all that makeup on. Right. It's like being a mod. Right. Really. Right. Like right. all that makeup and the clothes right. and everything. And so he goes to dinner with the same night as the other. Per- I mean, it's just like. And that's where it takes a movie that's already stretching credibility and completely breaks it. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I'll buy it if he's going to do it and wear it for the whole day and come home and take it off. But the scene with the social worker in the apartment where he's doing the back and forth. And then especially at dinner where he's going to the bathroom and taking it on and off. It's just like, what are we doing? What it just stretches it out. But I think, but it played forever. Like I said, on TBS, yeah. TNT. Yeah. I mean, cause it's one of those, like I said, you could fold laundry and have this on and not, <laughs> miss anything <laughs> um and then the last one i'll talk about is uh, a new documentary by elvis mitchell that just showed up on netflix called is that black enough for you i want to see that yeah it's uh it's talking about the history of black films specifically in the 1970s because elvis mitchell's thesis is kind of like that was a real turning point a real kind of golden age of black film um it's weird because I watched it in two parts. I watched like the first hour, mm-hmm. which is all build up and like getting us to the 1970s. And it's super interesting and it's really well done. And I was like, this is maybe one of the best documentaries of the year. And then we had to turn it off for some reason. So the next day, me and Eric could come back to it and we watched the rest. And it's still good. And I still think it's really strong overall. But the second hour 15 i think it runs about 215 um is very sort of scattershot it kind of falls into that thing that a lot of movie documentaries do which is like and then there was this movie and then there was this movie and mm-hmm. then in 1973 there was this movie and it it jumps all over the place sometimes at one point it's in the 70s it jumps back to gone with the wind and then with no transition, it just comes back to this actor who has nothing to do with Gone with the Wind or anything we were talking about. Erica and I almost rewound it because we're like, wait, how did we get here? It just jumps around in a way that maybe it was done in the editing or it feels a little bit, I don't want to say unfocused because I think that's too strong a word to criticize what he's doing. But not everything ties together the way I would like it to. I still absolutely think it's worth watching. And I learned a lot, uh, not just about films that I was not aware of, but certainly about perspectives that aren't my own. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is a a little bit messier than I was hoping. Does it cover um, the landlord by Hal Ashby? Briefly. Everything is kind of brief, but yeah, it absolutely does. Because that's one of my uh, my favorites that's in my book. And it's Hal Ashby's first directing job that yeah. he got. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's a woman who wrote it, a lady person. What? But, uh... <laughs> they can write movies? <laughs> but she wrote it. It was a black woman who wrote it about Philadelphia in the 1960s fiction. But it's set in the uh, 1965 in Philadelphia. And then it was bought. And then it's filmed in 1970. In my neighborhood, Park Slope, which was kind of, they called it Park Slump at the time because of the economic depression and there was the the flight to the suburbs. And so Hal Ashby, one of his actors wrote the script, who was also African-American. And one time, you know, sometimes you're you're sort of like, they're trying to say, like, this is really pushing the boundaries on language. 
and race relations, which is really important. And no, we haven't gone far enough at all in 50 plus years. But sometimes, I mean, I, I was doing a talk the other night. I couldn't even play the trailer because they use words in there that oh, we boy. just don't work. Yeah, yeah nowadays. Right, right. But that's a really interesting one, too. But, yeah. Yeah. The And I apologize for not remembering the actor's name, but the actor that we come back to from Gone with the Wind um, is the actor for whom Hal Ashby had intended the last detail, but mm. he died before they were able to make the last detail. But that is exactly what ties those two things together in some way. But I've actually never seen The Landlord, and I really want to because we watched that Hal Ashby documentary last year. Yes. It's great. And I thought it was great. Yeah. And it yeah. Made me really want to go back and revisit all of his movies. It's on YouTube. Last time I checked, it's not okay. streaming anywhere else. I don't know if it's, I think it's a uh, Neil Young does the soundtrack. It might be that that's the rights issue that they're having. Okay. But it, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. You'll love it. I think you'll really love it. It's just, I get it. Just kind of warn you. It's like the, the language is kind of jarring. Like, sure. Yeah. But, right. I remember showing, I showed the last detail to a class and I was like, Ooh, sorry guys. Cause there's a <laughs> lot of, at the time, I think that movie set the record for like language. Um, not the kind of language that you're talking about, just more like they said, fuck a lot, you know, but uh, no. I don't know. Anyway, uh, let's talk about Moonstruck from Very absolutely uh the last time erica and i watched this was maybe two years ago when i was running through every nicholas cage movie and it inspired us to order a large italian meal while we watched it <laughs> i love this movie it's just it's so i mean it's to say it's a rom-com is just not enough because it's, it's so rom and it's so calm, but there's just yeah. so much going on here about intergenerations and, and communication and Nicholas Cage is hilarious and romantic in this movie. Like who else would you get? He's so good in this part. And I think um, overall, what I super love about this movie, the most is it's so weird. Like you just have no idea. Yeah. what they're going to do next it's so unpredictable and it's so weird and that's what i really really appreciate about it yeah it's funny because i so like undersold it for years i probably watched it on vhs and i was like oh moonstruck yeah it's cute you know and i think i went back a couple of years ago when we rewatched it and to log it in letterboxd again and i saw that i had given it three stars and i'm like well that's like what i give sleepless in seattle like this is not a three-star movie this is a five-star mm -hmm. movie this is so much better than it's cute um <clears throat> so i don't know why it existed as it's cute in my head but i and, and certainly the thing that i sort of wrap my head around is the nicholas cage performance because that's what brings me back to the movie over and over again nicholas cage mm -hmm. is my favorite actor and uh they were so smart because he was at such a he was so young still when they made this movie and mm -hmm. he hadn't shown everything that he could do but somebody and he made this in raising arizona in the same year which is amazing mm -hmm. um someone was very smart to sort of tap into not just what an eccentric performer he is, but what a passionate performer he is. Mm -hmm. And that informs his character so, so well. I mean, everybody is so perfectly cast. Danny Aiello is so good. It made me miss yeah. so much. Um, although I find everything I watch with Danny Aiello makes me miss Danny Aiello. 
he seems like such a nice man. And yeah. he, and here he's so different because like I said, do the right thing is one of my favorite movies and he's great as Sal. Oh my in that gosh. Movie. Yeah. But this is about, you know, just five years before right. maybe even less than two years. Two I think. years. Yeah. yeah two yeah. Right. He, and he even said he plays a schlub. Like he didn't want to, he, he wasn't really embarrassed about it. He wouldn't show his mother this movie, but he's so good. But it's, it's very funny because Vincent Gardini, when she says he's going to marry this guy, he goes, he's a baby. What are you doing? <laughs> and there's so many little details that they get. That's like, and Cher is so spectacular in this movie. And yeah. She was 40, Patrick. Can you believe what? it? They gave a woman who's 40 a role in a movie and she's not a playing someone's lead. mom. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and nobody makes it blip about their age difference and he's like 23 and she was 40 they look so good together yeah they do they look amazing together it's just this everything about this movie it just makes me warm inside (laughs) that scene (laughs) near the end where she's trying to decide whether or not she's going to come back into the apartment and it's all silent and he's just reaching Mm -hmm. out his hand and she looks at the wooden hand and decides to go is like it's not the best scene in the movie because I think it would be really hard to pin down what the best scene in the movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's such an example of what makes this movie so special because it's such a quiet moment that says so much without saying anything. Uh, and I just love John Patrick Shanley, just honestly, between because I, I don't even know that I love doubt i saw doubt i liked doubt as much as i could like doubt yeah um but joe versus the volcano is one of my absolute favorite movies great Um, movie so good and just between moonstruck and joe versus the volcano because his other writing credits are maybe he was rewritten there you know it's weird stuff like january man and congo and it's like oh these don't totally work but like moonstruck and joe versus the volcano i really feel like we're getting his unfiltered voice and mm-hmm. it's so perfect i think it was called the bride and the wolf that's the original name for the screenplay okay i, I was just reading norman jewison's oh very nice <laughs> that, that's one of my his bio, autobiography this terrible business has been good to me and he said that talking about getting punched by cameron diaz <laughs> oh i wish <laughs> turns out she's decked every man in hollywood <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing if that was her king? <laughs> Cameron Diaz, <laughs> secret assassin. I love that. I love her more for that, by the way. Right? Okay. So he there was this script that it was called the, the Bride and the Wolf, or The Wolf and the Bride. And that went around to a bunch of people. And it just happened like Norman Jewison was looking for something like a comedy to do. And he couldn't believe that nobody snapped it up. But I think it was because it was such a bad title. Like eventually they, they changed it to Moonstruck, which is a thousand times better. Yes. But he fought for Nicolas Cage and he really fought for Cher. And Cher was like his original and they were all like, yeah, let's do it. And she didn't think she could do it because she didn't think she could do the Italian accent. And the accents, you know, who cares? Right, exactly. It's, she does enough. She says ma. And you're like, yeah, she's yeah. Italian. Yeah, she's Italian. I mean, she just looks like, so she just looks at him like she just thinks he's stupid. And then she you could realize that she really likes him and she likes him, likes him. And then their kind of their chemistry is just incredible and Libby Dukakis as her mother I mean Vincent Gardini as her father and I love the old man that plays grandpa yes and he didn't speak any or spoke very little English at the yeah. time he was Russian and I just love he sits at the table just I'm confused <laughs> 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 it's, it's 
I was laughing so hard at uh, when Cher is watching Danny Aiello's plane take off. And the woman <laughs> next to her. Says, I put a curse on that plane. <laughs> my sister's on that plane. I put a curse on that plane. Uh, because Erica is very Italian and her whole family is very Italian. And uh, none of them have ever put a curse on a plane, but like maybe not too far off, you know? So there's all right. this stuff in the movie that I'm like, oh, this is very close to home. And she doesn't even bat an eyelash. She's like, oh, right, you exactly. Right. You know, Johnny's fine, but she's playing a <laughs> widow. And she, he's her husband's been gone for five years. He was hit by a bus and she's just accountant. She goes from client to client and helps them out with their finances. She's going to marry Danielle. And also, who is the actor I'm thinking of? John, what's his last name? Who plays the teacher? John the Mahoney. Host? Yes, Mahoney. Sorry. Frazier. We right, know John exactly. Mahoney. Right. He's a Chicago guy. Of course, you know who he is. Of course. Was. We're required to know. We're given a test. Yes, yes. It's some bylaws there. <laughs> but he, I love his whole thing about being the teacher. And he has all mm-hmm. these pretty students. And he just like talks down to them until they throw water to his face. And then he just goes, oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> like, it's no big deal. His scene with Olivia Dukakis is so wonderful. Mm-hmm. But she just says, no, she's just too young for you. And <laughs> he just cuts him right to the, right to the chase. I was wondering, would it be okay? I didn't ask you beforehand. But my friend Margot wrote a little something. Oh, of course. Can I read that? Yeah, of course. Okay, so I asked everybody to write a little something, all my friends. Um, so this is what Margot wrote about this movie. Snap out of it. I saw Moonstruck before I had ever been to New York, let alone Brooklyn. I remember seeing it with my parents in the movie theater at our local mall when it came out. I had seen many films set in Brooklyn by then, of course, but Moonstruck was the first film that made me ache to live there. For a start, there was that house. We'll talk about that in a minute. Amy Schumer's house, by the way. Really? Yeah, she bought it. Uh, That enormous 19th century house has beautiful woodwork, antiques, and floor-to-ceiling subway tile in the kitchen. Nothing in my hometown of San Diego was that old, at least not with their original family still living there. In many ways, that house is one of the main characters. Right away, the audience is aware of all the history and that must have seen, the tragedies, triumphs that had come within its walls. Moonstruck might be the most romantic movie ever made because its romance survives despite death, infidelity, greed, pride, jealousy, and time. There are so many iconic scenes in this movie and it's still so funny. When I finally did move to New York, I unfortunately I never lived in Brooklyn, though I did get to attend grad school there. The lofty expectations of Moonstruck had set for me completely were fulfilled. Lincoln Center really is that magical in person. That's true. A morning stroll through old Brooklyn feels like the day is filled with possibilities, not just for you, but for the generations after you. Though I love every location, my favorite scene is still where Loretta tells her father that she will marry Johnny, the wrong man. The two of them sitting at the table in that tiled kitchen, to- toasting Loretta's terrible choice with a glass of Asti Spumanti is as accurate a father-daughter relationship as I've ever seen on film. And it always makes me want to enjoy a glass of Asti with a sh- sugar cube dropped in. <laughs> That's Margot Porras. Very nice. Isn't that great? That is great. And it's That's true. Uh, yeah. I don't... I don't ever want to drink Asi Spumanti, but no, it's disgusting. I do love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much there. 
Yeah. You know, you know, he's trying to tell her, you know, look, you can you could do something else that you can find somebody else. But she's being so practical. She's trying to be so practical. And then I love it when her mother says, do you love them? She goes, no, it's because they're good. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you love them. They drive you crazy. It's so great that, again, this movie, like, has older characters that it gives agency to. It allows them to not just be, like, punchlines, like, Mm -hmm. oh, and here's the wacky dad here to supply ethnic humor. and uh, Right. It gives he has a them... girlfriend. Like, right, he exactly. A, he has and, a side piece that he's taking right. around. Right. And that scene at the end where Olivia Dukakis is like, stop seeing her. And he just hits the table and then goes, okay. <laughs> it's so <laughs> great. Yeah, it's just, it's so full of these characters who are like completely lived in and have real relationships and, and, history just as the as that passage that you just read points out like you can feel all of their history together and you know except for nicholas cage Cher's character is essentially the youngest character in the movie right and she's right. 40 they oh, put I gray guess. in her hair <laughs> <laughs> that luckily they get rid of yes but she does look beautiful when she shows up at the met that dress is amazing she looks spectacular I, in the Met, I don't know if you've ever been to there. I've been to no. Lincoln Center. It's, I bet it's we really, walked around Lincoln Center when we were there, but I haven't been to the Met. It's really amazing. It really yeah. does hold up. But I, and and I love the, the those little details, like the father gets her the uh, the bracelet that's like got the charms on it, mm-hmm. you know, the really gaudy kind of bracelet, and then she wears like the hot pink to the to the Met, okay. the opera La Boheme, and that kind of like the, that whole. The way that they're all kind of like she finds out her father's cheating and then she, instead of having like a huge scene, she's kind of like really yeah. just trying to make sense of it. Yeah. And Nicolas Cage is so sweet and quiet sometimes. Like he's mm-hmm. just sort of taking the scene in. He's not overdoing it. It's just right. it's one of his best performances. It is. It's I mean, it's so hard to like for me, especially it's so hard to nail down like what my <laughs> favorite perform favorite Nicolas Cage performances are because I, there are so many. But like he didn't often get to play this type of romantic lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on in his career, when he does, it's like City of Angels and he's like so mopey in that. Mm-hmm. And he's not mopey in this. He's like so full of life. And at the end when they're all sitting around the table together again, it's like a scene out of a farce, but the movie doesn't play it as farce where the dad is trying to like figure out, he recognizes Nicholas cage, right? Because they had mm-hmm. seen each other. Um, but neither one of them says anything. It's so great. Yeah. Well, he said that, uh, well, so they filmed it on a sound stage. So the exteriors are on 19 Cranberry street in Brooklyn Heights. And you could still, find it there it's around the corner from the sentinel house i love to say that oh very nice i love (laughs) the sentinel that's the best movie ever (laughs) but uh they filmed it on a sound stage but it's so it's so tight it's so well shot because they're all like sitting around this little table which is how it is in life like in movies there's these huge dining room tables that people have but they're all sitting on this little space and they rehearsed it like a play and then he set up his cameras and their their interaction with each other is incredible olympia dukakis totally deserves the academy award for what she did just her face alone when she looks so hurt she's like leave her stop seeing that woman yeah 
Yeah. I forgot that she won the Oscar for this. I remembered Cher winning, but I had forgotten that Olympia Dukakis had won as well. And it is, it's, it's very deserved. I, the only thing I would say is that Nicolas Cage should have also been nominated. Absolutely. I saw Vincent Gardenia was nominated, but, uh, but not Nicolas Cage. And that is a crime. It is a crime. The uh, so the house is there still, and Amy Schumer just bought it for twelve million. Wow! You know, little, little change. We'll see how that goes for her because it's kind of like I know just being around there, like a lot of people walk by that house, and then the bakery has been turned into a bunch of different businesses. But that whole scene, my hand, my bride. <laughs> It's, it's so I, weird. It's like, it oh, is so idea. weird, right? Just like, oh, and what if our romantic lead is a younger man with a wooden hand because he cut his off in a bread slicer? It's just, it's <laughs> so. Like, oh, get me the knife, no, Johnny. I can't get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> the big knife. Uh, yeah, it's so like, it could, I think collapse under the weight of its own quirk i've seen movies that that happens and i think this movie has like just enough of it and then it pulls back and because it creates a reality in which all of this stuff is believable Mm -hmm. um i think we buy it you know like the wooden hand is such a weird touch but the movie's just weird enough that we're like yeah I'm, i'm gonna go along with this they just bring it up then. I mean, and his hand is right. extended a couple of times, but it's like right. in other movies, it would be a constant joke. That oh, he has. of course. He would lose the wooden hand. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they were, they're very smart about how they do things. His whole speech about making the bread. And <sighs> I just love it. <laughs> just... He looks like he's been down there for hours. Yeah. Just shoveling coal and making yeah. bread for people. And I love a. Danny Aiello with his mother in Italy and, you know, her screaming at him and coming back to life because he went back to Italy for her. It's, it's just, I'm just going to gush. It's just so beautiful (laughs) and perfect. Does the movie let her off the hook too easily by having Danny Aiello be the first one to say, I don't want to marry. Like his whole reasoning is very funny. It's a good punchline. Um, So I don't, it's not a, a flaw in the movie but I'm just wondering what you think. Does it let her off the hook too easily? No, her and Nicholas okay. Cage need to be together. I'm glad they don't drag that out. I'm kind of glad they kind of yeah. just dropped it just immediately like, okay, propose to me now. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Drop the one guy, take the other one. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I love it. I love that um, whole scene with all them around the table. It's just, it's just too damn funny. The art <laughs> direction's great. The, the restaurant scenes are, are hilarious. Yeah. John Mahoney's great. I love his little, you know, he gets basically one extended scene where he's out to dinner and then he walks her home. And it's such a great, again, look at the fact that like both of these people are a little bit older. They're approaching it in very different ways. Um, I love how. uh, Trying to think of the right word. She's so committed. She's so decent um, that just the very notion of like John Mahoney, while it's flattering, she's like, 
it's completely out of the question. Whereas like right. a lot of other people are so easily, easily giving into their passions in this movie. Um, and I love the realization that like, well, they're afraid to die. And she's like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Thank exactly. You for that's all the she question. needed. That's right. all she needed to hear. Yeah, exactly. And then she tells Vincent Gardenia, like, you're going to die just like everybody else. Right. It's just so great. It's so great. I, I'm I'm so glad that we decided to talk about this movie because this was absolutely the best it had ever played for me. And I don't know if that's because I was watching it a little more critically, you know, mm-hmm. because I knew we were going to be talking about it. But um, it really went from like, oh, this is cute to like, no, this is a genuinely like four star great movie. This is I think like I was saying to you because I was seeing so many films. And I was, yeah. you know, I was going around Brooklyn Heights, just taking pictures everywhere. And I just, I don't know what it was, but I had the same thing happen to me. I was kind of like, this is outstanding. Like, this yeah. is a perfect movie. There's yeah. nothing I would change about it. Yeah. It doesn't need anything added to it. It's not, you know, the, the music's great. The art direction, this, the, it just, it's a Brooklyn that's just so beautiful mm-hmm. and great and, and wonderful. And, and some of it's changing, you know, like, like I said, the bakery's gone, but the house is still there and it, it, promenade the Brooklyn promenade is just so beautiful and to see it all together and just share dancing down the street just kicking the can mm-hmm. is just one of those indelible images you're just kind of like this is a mastery like this yeah. is a masterpiece yeah I like that that like a lot of great comedies and romantic comedies I guess I would say it's also and maybe I can say this because I'm somebody who doesn't live in New York and doesn't live in Brooklyn but it's like it's completely timeless to me. Mm-hmm. It exists outside of time. And I, I recognize that like as somebody who lives there, yes, you see the city and it's changed and it doesn't look like it does in Moonstruck anymore. So there is, it has aged in some ways, but uh, from the outside, um, there's nothing about the movie that like dates at all. No, I mean, they don't, I mean, cause usually, and this is like uh, when I first moved here and I would get defensive about it because people like to say like, for a long time, Brooklyn was kind of, kind of like this redheaded stepchild of New York City. Like, that's where the dumb people are. You you leave Brooklyn to go to New York. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn's the rough place. Big hair, big nails, big accent, everything. And it's like, no, there's like, it's, it, they don't have like these outlandish outfits. Or even, even when she's wearing that pink dress, it's a little tacky. It's not over the top. Right. Like, right. like a lot of places would go with it. I mean, Cher's just played just right with her. You know, her outfits when she starts and then when she goes to the opera everything is just they do it just enough yeah you you realize they're italian americans they're old school he's a plumber she stays at home you know they yell at each other but it's for some reason they do just enough yeah it's not over the top and it's just it's like entering a world for like a couple hours it's not even two hours it's like an hour 40 minutes yeah, it breathes I mean, by because I it, couldn't believe we were at the end already when I got to the end. Yeah, I mean, nowadays, <laughs> you know, this were a Judd, uh, oh my God, Judd, Apat- Judd Apatow movie. Right. It, it would, oh my God, she'd be playing kickball right, up and exactly. down that street. Like, it just, <laughs> oh my God. And I love Apatow, but this is like, it's just a perfect, perfect film. Lengthwise, yeah. everything. This is completely off topic, but what was the worst movie you found yourself rewatching or watching while researching your book? There's a movie that's really stuck with me, and I forget what it's called. It's it's based in Coney Island, and it's Eli Wallach and somebody else, and it's about this couple that's lived in Coney Island 
their whole lives and they're just about to get kicked out of an old folks home. They're going to get kicked out of their home in Coney Island and they're going to be like overrun by ne'er dwells. Like that's like Coney Island is being completely overtaken by, I mean, let's be clear, black people is what they're trying <laughs> to say. They whisper this. It's like 1980, 79 or 80. And it's, just such a fucking bummer. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I got a better one for you. Okay. The Angriest Man in Brooklyn. This is a, oh. this is Robin Williams' last movie yeah. before he died. Shoot. God, this movie's terrible. It's, really? It starts, I mean, it's everything. I. It's my neighborhood. It's all my neighborhood. So I was like, oh, I know that spot. I know that. But he plays a guy that has 24 hours to live. And Mila Kunis is the uh, doctor that gives him the diagnosis and he's splitting up with his wife and he really is angry. He really is mm. pissed off. But like two hours of that, when you know, like he's going to die, like it's really, I really recommend not seeing it. It's yeah. It's, it's I, I honestly have a hard time. I had a hard time even watching Mrs. Doubtfire. Like I struggle with watching Robin Williams performances yeah. now just because I know that underneath what we're seeing was all this pain. And, and I, yeah, I'm so sad about how things ended for him that I have a hard time with it. I can't find the Eli Wallach movie because apparently he narrated a documentary about Coney Island. So when I Google Eli Wallach, Coney Island movie, <laughs> that's all that it's comes Eli up. Wallach, what a cool, I know, it's, it's really, it's a bummer of a movie. You don't need to see it, but it's, it's a Coney Island. Movie. It's about these two old people and they're about to get kicked out of their house. And I'm like, what am I doing to myself here? <laughs> <laughs> this is like, but the, yeah, the angriest man in Brooklyn, that's okay. pretty terrible. Okay. I, Good to I know. Didn't, I didn't enjoy, um, it, it has its fans, but the Wolf of Wall Street, there's a few bits Oh, interesting. Are, You're not a fan. Filmed out here. No, it's a little okay. aggro for me. It is I, very I, aggro. And I like Scorsese. I mean, I, yeah. I can watch Goodfellas. And I when I saw Goodfellas the first time, that's also filmed in my new, around here. I had to cover my face. And this is somebody I've watched a million horror movies because it was so intense. Yeah. Yeah, the beatings and all that stuff. I remember, like, I left that movie shell shocked. Wow. Now I watch it when I'm just sleeping. I could just have it on. None <laughs> of it bothers me. <laughs> but uh, Wolf of Wall Street, not so much. Yeah, no, it's just too aggro for me. Sure. But I like Leonardo DiCaprio. I, I, I mean, after a while, it's just dudes celebrating each other for being dick dick bags to people. So yeah, yeah. All Did right. I say dick bag. Anyway. <laughs> I am weirdly deficient in my Norman Jewison filmography. Like I've mm -hmm. seen in the heat of the night, I've seen rollerball. Mm -hmm. I've seen moonstruck and that literally might be it. And he's got a lot of movies and I have What are his other movies. I, I'm... I mean, the big ones, like he did the original Thomas crown affair. He did Jesus Christ superstar. He did fiddler on the roof. He did the Al Pacino drama and justice for all. Oh yeah, that's a good one. He did Agnes of God, which I've never seen. Um, <laughs> that's, that's another bummer. Oh yeah, I've seen it as a play, but I've never seen. It. And I think that was the reason why I never saw it as a movie because I'm like, I think I'm good. I got yeah, all yeah, I'm gonna good. get you're out good. of Agnes of God. Woof. Um, after Moonstruck, he doesn't have another hit. Uh, he does a Bruce Willis Vietnam vet movie called In Country. Oh, I've seen that. That's with um. Emily Lloyd. Yes. Yeah. Other people's money with Danny DeVito. Only you 
the rom- romantic comedy that takes place, I think, in Italy with that's the uh, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey and Jr. Marissa and Marissa Tomei. I've seen that one. That's cute. A movie called Bogus with Whoopi Goldberg about like Wait. an imaginary friend played by Gerard Depardieu. Oh my God, Gerard Depardieu and Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, you don't say. Day. Uh, oh, he made the hurricane. I've seen the hurricane, the Denzel Washington movie. And then his last movie is a Michael Caine movie called The Statement. I don't know that. He's still with us. I think he lives he's up 96. In... Yeah. 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 I tried to get an interview with him, but maybe he's like, I'm just too fucking old. For this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need this. I'm working on bogus too. <laughs> Can't be bothered. Who's going to take either. on serving Sarah? I heard that's really good. <laughs> we'll save that for the uh, filmed in Texas book. <laughs> and somewhere else, I forget. Where else are they in that movie? I don't remember. I, I just been Texas. And in the book, he says, I was really badly addicted to pills and it was affecting my work. So I took on the idea of take doing a movie and the show at the same time. Because he figured if he kept himself super busy, yeah. and he completely just wore himself out. This guy does not think things through. This is no, I don't know. I read stories about like Michael J. Fox doing that on Back to the Future, and I don't know how he made it, but he was doing it without a drug addiction uh, going right. on simultaneously. But I don't wish that schedule on anyone. So, what's the anniversary that's happening right now with uh, with a uh, with a uh, michael j fox movie time travel back to the future thank you sorry i've been seeing that a lot lately in my twitter twitter's a mess we all know that but i mean i've been seeing that lately is that's is there some anniversary there's an anniversary i'm not sure I've been uh, seeing, the, like... he and christopher lloyd just launched a line of merchandise oh really but i don't know if it coincides with an anniversary i don't know what the anniversary would be I saw a teaser. Somebody posted a teaser and it was for uh, Back to the Future, but it was like, you know, six months before the movie came out. Yeah. So it was just Michael J. Fox walking in those Nikes. Right. And then getting in there, I was like, oh, people have no idea how fucking great this movie's going to be. Isn't that wild? Like, that, so wild. there was a world before Back to the Future that didn't know what to expect from that movie? I meet people occasionally who are like, oh, I think I've seen that movie. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I've seen the shit out of that movie. Like, seriously. I, I, I have people ask me, like, which one of the trilogy is your favorite? And I get offended. Because <laughs> they're all one big amorphous. Thing no, for you? because, like, or is it just I, the first one? Then that's I a, get, Yeah, I get that they made that. sequels, but, like, what are we talking about? Whose they're favorite not, is three? Right. The Western? No. No. No, thank you. And it's no. fine. And two's fine. And if you like them, great. I could. Be, I'd be fine if they didn't exist, you know? Uh, for me, it's the first one, and that's that. Zemeckis had a really good record going for there for a while there. Yeah. In the 80s. Yeah. He had a bunch of hits. I haven't watched his Pinocchio yet, because why would I? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Adam Italian. liked it, uh, so that gives me hope. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Anything else about Moonstruck, we should say? uh it's awesome you should see it you should own it you should own it it's out on criterion blu-ray um where can people buy filmed in brooklyn you can find it wherever you buy your books and uh that's like wherever you can buy your books yeah online in person wherever is it better to like buy it not from amazon and like yeah if you want to 
send me a few more bucks my way. It would be Arcadia Press. That's the website. Okay. If you buy it from there, then I get a bigger, or you come to my apartment and I'll sell you a copy. <laughs> I'll personalize it for you. <laughs> nice. All right. I like it. Um, and where, where can people find more of you online, Margo? Well, as long as Twitter still stands, um, I'm at Brooklyn Fit Chick there on Instagram. And then also I'm on TikTok at Margo Donahue. So I'm trying to compete with the millennials there. How's TikTok going? I like TikTok. I mean, it's okay. a lot of work, you know, yeah. and I'm the, I'm the queen of like the dumb little spelling error and you go, I got to do this the whole <laughs> thing all over again. But I've been doing though, um, I've done a few times if you check it out. It's like two screens. There's one on top and one on the bottom. And then I have like Smith and 9th Street in Brooklyn. And then under, um, it's Goodfellas on top. It's when Jimmy tells Karen, you want some dresses? Go down the corner there. That's yeah, right. right. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that scene is terrifying. Oh, it, it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And uh, so I have that with like the what it looks like now, like the video now. And so I've been doing that for a few of the scenes there. But Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Please follow me. <laughs> yeah, that's like, t- I'm not on TikTok, but that's content I would actually be interested in. As yeah, opposed it, to what I think most of TikTok is. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of weird shit there. Yeah. Yeah. My son is on TikTok and he's constantly showing me stuff. And I'm like, I don't get what this is. <laughs> I don't, Is it funny? I don't get it. Their attention spans just must be yeah. this generation. Holy crap. He did watch Speed last night, so there's hope for him. Did he like it? He loved it. Oh, great. Yeah. Keanu Reeves, people. I know. <laughs> Never wish that man death. Come on. He uh, was going to come to Streets of Fire with us, but he was at a birthday party all day and he was too tired. So before we left, we're like, oh, look, Speed is on Tubi. You can watch Speed while we're gone. So we left. <laughs> he stayed up and watched the whole thing. So did he watch Speed 2 or did he? Did he I think he stopped wisely, at Speed. Just... Yeah. I'll wait <laughs> speed 2 is hilarious. Two. Let's just take it and put it on a boat. We can't get oh. Keanu. Let's, let's just put it on a boat. I haven't seen I saw it in the theater uh, and I haven't seen it since. Roger Ebert gave it a great review. He did. He gave it like three stars. Yes. And somebody, I think it was Doug Benson on the show, said somebody give him a handy during the <laughs> That would explain it. <laughs> that would explain it. <laughs> Uh, and everyone, please make sure that you're listening to Book versus Movie and Dorking Out and What a Creep. Who's your latest uh, creep? Please say Elon Musk. Oh, he. We've done me Elon Musk. I figured. Yeah. Oh yeah, we were we're gonna do uh, Lana Turner and Johnny Stampanato. She had that. There's a whole murder trial. Do you know Lana? You know Lana Turner. I know who Lana the Turner actress. is. Yeah. Yeah. Her boyfriend. Her daughter stabbed her boyfriend to death, and it turns out he was like this thug. What's the movie that I'm thinking of? Kim Basinger won the Oscar for it. LA um, Confidential. Yeah, there's he's in there. The, his character's in there. Oh, okay. Johnny Stefanato. So, yeah, we're gonna do that next. Like, we do like an old fashioned crime every once in a while, but we also do like creeps, like Elon Musk, Alan right. Baldwin, your basics. Sure. I hope I'm never on that show. You'd never be on the show because <laughs> you're too sweet. <laughs> well, thank you. You've been on Dorking Out, but that's 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 right talking streets of fire and i almost said saint almost fire but that was our show yeah we also talked about it on our show too so i remember really yeah. Want, like, to, yeah you want some more opinions about that terrible movie <laughs> that i could literally watch anytime yeah exactly that's super watchable yeah i just watched uh one of my last unseen schumachers was the client i love the client well yeah like especially in 2022 i put on the client 
literally every actor it's like a murderer's row of incredible actors in the smallest parts that movie has has a william h macy to burn he's just like a doctor right it's so competent like i once made fun of a critic for uh there was a Sean Penn and Nicole Kidman movie called The Interpreter that I think Sidney Pollack directed. Mm-hmm. And one of the pull quotes was like something about the frighteningly capable hands of Sidney Pollack. <laughs> and the expression frighteningly capable cracked me up. And I still joke about it with my friend Mike to this day. But I'm to the point where I'm ready to call the client frighteningly capable because movies today are not as competently made as something like The Client. And uh, it is. It's just like from screenplay to performance to direction, everybody's on their A game. Yep. It has a fantastic cast. It's got tremendous amount of like time. And like, you really feel like you're going to a certain place mm-hmm. and it's hot. It's the South. It's sweaty. You really understand the predicament this kid's in. R.I.P. also to Brad Renfro. Who yeah, R.I.P. That, that movie, yeah. Susan Sarandon's great. Tommy Lee Jones. It's like, I I could watch that movie anytime. It totally delivers. I think most 90s Grisham thrillers are like my kink. Like I didn't realize I'd never read any of the John Grisham books, but I like almost every movie adaptation of Grisham stuff. Yeah. I don't love a a time to kill and I've never seen the chamber. No, those, those aren't my favorites, but I do like the one with matt damon that uh oh the rainmaker that's the best yeah, one that's the best one yes i even like the food the firm with Cruz, where he's getting traced down the street yeah. by wilford brimley right <laughs> Memphis. who was probably younger than both of us when he made that movie <laughs> he was born an old man <laughs> he was he was like yeah Picture he had a, a cigar out of his mouth a, well yeah yeah baby with a big handlebar mustache and yeah Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. Uh, thank you very much, Margo, for coming on the show and talking about this movie. Everyone, please, please, please buy and read Filmed in Brooklyn. Listen to Margo's stuff. She's the best. I really appreciate you talking about this movie with me. Thank you so much. It was so fantastic to do this. We will talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you.